And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Um, I am back. It's good to be back. Darren Starr here, episode 120-something, 127, maybe something like that. I don't know. I wanted to get back on Monday of this week. It did not happen. Um, That vacation kind of kicked my ass a little bit. So it is Friday, June 28th. I'm recording this. We're starting to at uh, 11.08 Eastern time. We got a lot of stuff to get through. I want to go through a recap on my trip. I'm going to save that for the end because it's not super important. It'll be fun to talk about a little bit, but mostly um, I've got a backlog of some stuff to go through here. So we are now approximately one minute in and I'm going to get right to it. How do you like that? The first thing is uh, I want to go over a little bit of a confession here. This is kind of embarrassing a little bit, but nonetheless, it's uh, and now I know everybody's ears perked up like, Ooh, I'm going to listen to this. This is going to be good. Uh, so, this is a, a social media confession. So, oh boy, here we go. Uh, at one point back a while, a long time ago actually, I was working with a, a, a marketing person and looking to like expand my social media influence a little bit. And one of the things that she said was, hey, have you looked into using a bot for Instagram? And I'm like, no, what the hell are you talking about? What? And so I looked into it and there, there are are bots where you can program and, and they run um, on your computer as applications and you just leave them running all the time. And they will follow a certain set of criteria or instructions that you give them and then do things according to that. So, um, you know, for the longest time, um, and so if you will notice, they seem to be gone now. This is the uh, the company, the clothing company on Instagram that was at first Dreaming Elegance and then uh, changed their name to Be First. And they would just spam the ever-loving shit out of uh, everybody's accounts uh, based on the hashtags that you used. And they just post nonsensical comments asking you to go message them or follow their account or whatever. Uh, and that was done via a bot. So now uh, all of you are thinking like, oh God, if you use a bot, you must just be a total douchebag and I hate you. I'm unsubscribing from your podcast. I'm going to set your house on fire. To which I would say, well, you know, if I used a bot like that, I I wouldn't blame you for any of that sentiment. That'd be fair. Uh, But I didn't. What I used it for was very kind. I was trying to be not intrusive at all. Like there are a lot of people that use bots um, as, uh, as comment uh, tools, which I think is dumb because you have to pre-program your comments and you're like, okay, search for um, posts um, uh, made within the last 30 minutes uh, featuring this hashtag and then leave this comment on it. So that's why you get a lot of uh, comments on your posts like, wow, great photo when you've posted a video or wow, you look great when it's a picture of your dog that you hashtag fitness because it's in the, uh, the list of hashtags that you use for everything. Um, that, those are bot comments. Uh, anything that doesn't make sense is being um, commented on automatically. So, and I find those comments to be really intrusive. So like if somebody likes my photo, I don't get notifications on, actually I don't get any notifications from Instagram on my phone at all just because I shut them off because I was sick of seeing them. Um, but if somebody leaves a comment, I will take note of that. Um, somebody likes something, I have no idea. I'm not looking at that. Uh, so what I did was I, um, th- there are a few concepts that you can use. And the one that I did was, okay, find this account. Now, search for public accounts that are following that one. So let's say, um, you know, I would want to search for, I don't know, Nicole Wilkins. Okay, search for all public accounts 
that appear to be active. So you can say like have posted within the last, you know, 10 days or something like that. Um, that have, you know, this number of followers, like, uh, you're, you're trying to get somebody's attention by following them basically is how it works. So, uh, I might say, you know, if somebody has 40,000 followers, I'm not going to follow them because if I follow, they're not going to notice. But if they have between like, you know, 200 followers and a thousand followers, chances are if they get a new one, they will take note of that. Then they might check out my account and follow back. That's the whole concept behind this. So I would use a bot to find people to follow and then the bot would follow them. And then just because I don't necessarily, you know, this is where it's kind of shady. This is an attention getting thing. It's not like I actually want to follow these people. So then like seven days later, I would unfollow them. Okay. That's the, the deal behind this. So, um, for the longest time that made it kind of a pain in the ass to follow people that I actually wanted to follow because the bot would keep unfollowing them uh, unless I added them to my whitelist. And that whitelist was kind of buggy in the way it was managed and maintained within the program. And also, if somebody then changed their username, the, their new username isn't in my whitelist, so when it came time to start unfollowing people, they would get ditched. Uh, and so, point being, <laughs> if, if you've gotten a follow from me recently and you're like, I've known Darren for a long time. Why is he just now following me? It's because my stupid fucking bot had unfollowed you at some point. And I've since stopped using it completely because it was just too much of a pain in the ass. And I tell you, it works. It really, really works. Um, but I, I just didn't find it was really worth it in the long term. Um, and I, I stopped caring about my social media following all that much and just say, hey, you know what? Whatever happens organically is just it for right now. That's the stage that I'm in. So anyway, a little confessional there, a little embarrassing, but nonetheless, there you go. Um, just un undressing myself a little bit here for the podcast, uh, figuratively speaking. Uh, I am doing this fully clothed. Although if I was doing this naked, you wouldn't know. Um, although now some people are like, not a good visual there. No, it's not right now. Whew. Captain Tubby here. Um, so we've got that. Uh, there's an article I want to touch on, um, that I found, uh, whether or not I'll be able to find it or not. I saved it on my phone, but the way that, uh, the little news feature on my phone saves articles, I don't know where I can go to actually find them once I've saved them. Like where, what list does that go into? I don't know. Um, but it was on, uh, recovery, which is a, a topic that I really want to hit on here. So that's still in my list of things that I want to talk about here. Um, I've got some Instagram messages that I want to cover here as well. And I might just start with those. I got a load of voicemails as well to catch up on too. So let's start with Instagram. Let me pull it up here and see what we see. Hold on, hold the phone. One moment, please. Um, <laughs> okay. So where'd it go? I had a good one from Sarah. Here we go. So, uh, yeah, the, the, let's let's start with the uh, let's go let's go uh, contraband here. First of all, we're going to start with a uh, some gear related questions. So, um, this is from uh, Sarah uh, off of uh, Instagram. Uh, a client of mine. We just started working together again. We were working together last year. Took a little break, and she's back now. And so she messaged me and says. <clears throat> quoting now. And as always, the way I'm going to try and do this, and I will totally fail, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give you an honest to God, max level effort on this. I'm going to try and quote it without interruption, without interjecting my own little comments here. So <clears throat> quote, hi, Darren. I have a question for your podcast. What is Nolvadex used for in bodybuilding? A person I followed had her previous coach pushing Nolvadex and got kicked out for not wanting to take it. All I found is that it's used for cancer treatment. Don't understand how it applies to bodybuilding, end quote. All right. Woohoo! I did it. 
I did it. I made it through that short little message without feeling the need to interject uh, my own thoughts here. So I, I shot her a quick response, but it's worth a more in-depth uh, a more in-depth conversation right now. And the first part of that is, oh, man, <laughs> there are coaches out there who legit will not work with women unless they want to take Nolvadex. What? That is insane. I mean, you know, it's it's not super surprising, I guess. But uh, it it's really. Uh, <laughs> it's depressing. It's depressing that, that there are people out there. I mean, yeah. So, uh, of course, it, it is. It, it, it is useful. So let, let's just start there. It is useful. It, it has a legit purpose. Absolutely. It is a useful compound. The thought that there's a coach out there that is such a dipshit that they won't work with anybody unless they agree to use Novadex is just beyond stupid. Um, because then, of course, you're just saying, well, I'm not going to work with anyone who wants to be a natural bodybuilder or pass a drug test or anything like that because uh, it's not something that they're necessarily going to test for, but it is something that is on the banned substance list of every natural organization. So um, it, it's not uh, not uh, approved for. So um, uh, uh, Novadex is uh, in a classification of drugs uh, called a SERM, which is different from a SARM. So a SARM is a selective androgen receptor modulator. This is a selective estrogen receptor modulator, um, or in the uh, parlance that might be a little bit easier to to uh, identify its purpose, it's an anti-estrogen, basically. It will bring down your estrogen levels. And so estrogen as a hormone, one of its chief components is uh, fat storage. Uh, one of its chief roles is in fat storage. What is uh, bodybuilding about? Well, it's about fat loss. So yeah. If you can tamp down your estrogen levels, you're going to drop more body fat. Absolutely. It's a very direct thing right there. Um, a lot of women get really aggressive with how they use Novadex. Um, a lot of women don't use it at all. Um, there's a wide spectrum of ways that you could not use it, use it, or abuse it. So uh, I won't talk about dosages or anything like that. I don't think that's relevant for the conversation necessarily. Just know that uh, if you are doing an untested show, whether it's NPC, PCA, or this WPC stuff that we talked about in the last episode um, that are not drug tested, this is allowable. Does that mean it's a good idea necessarily? No. Does it mean inherently it's a bad idea? No. I mean, you got to read more about it. Um, so it is it is used for, for breast cancer specifically because reducing estrogen levels is something that can be helpful for breast cancer treatment as well. So uh, the, the downside is that estrogen does good things as well. And so uh, the, the way that you could really think about it is, you know, estrogen is the, the quintessential female hormone, just like testosterone is for the, for, for males. So, uh, if you tamp down your estrogen levels significantly, you could be sacrificing a little bit of what makes you female. And that could just be a feeling a little bit. It could be in, uh, you know, I mean, cer certainly there, there are sexual side effects from that as well, typically short term, um, and not necessarily like overwhelming, like, oh my God, I'm turning into a man kind of thing. It's nothing like that. Um, but nonetheless, there are things like that to be aware of. Um, so for women, yeah, I mean, if you have a serious competitor, I would say a serious national level competitor in a non-drug tested show, the chances that they're using, using Nolvidex are pretty good. Um, just the same thing, like, you know, chances if they're using an anabolic, pretty good. Again, the bikini division kind of being an outlier for this, but you get a lot of bikini competitors that are using clenbuterol, T3, and Nolvidex for sure. So um, it is hardly uncommon. It, it certainly should not be a requirement to compete, and that is just utterly ridiculous. Um, 
And for men, uh, it's used as well, um, much more commonly. Um, now, th- this is a, a <clears throat> it's an anti-estrogen. Uh, I find for for men because when you take testosterone and other anabolics, you know clearly it raises your testosterone levels. Your testosterone and your estrogen always kind of want to be in balance to one another. So one thing that happens there is your estrogen levels then will increase as well. So what you need to do is, as a guy, take something to tamp that down so that you can get your uh, you can keep your uh, estrogen. Uh, related side effects down a little bit. And typically an anti-estrogen is not necessarily the way to do that. Um, you get compounds that aromatize in your, in your body and cause conversion into estrogen. So it's much more effective typically to take an aromatase inhibitor, something like Arimidex or Aromacin um, are two, uh, two compounds that would be more useful for that. Um, Novidex is still commonly used. Um, a lot of Let's be clear. It's commonly used in a lot of stupid ways. Um, I don't find that during cycle it's typically all that effective. Post-cycle it's much more effective. Even then, uh, there are other things that do the trick as well, but it's a staple. It's been used by thousands and hundreds of thousands of guys for years as a post, part of a post-cycle therapy, um, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. So, um, so that's a great question from Sarah. Now, related to that... Just updating my list here. Um, another question came. Uh, this via... I think this was via email from uh, Luke. And uh, okay, <clears throat> so whew, once again, this one's a little bit longer. I'm going to throw on the quotes here and I'm going to try to make it through uninterrupted. We'll see how it goes. <clears throat> Hold on, I'm going to take a quick drink before I do this as well. I'm really kind of psyching myself up for this. I have a tough time not talking over myself, as you can see by this you know, 45 minute introduction for this one question I'm about to read. Hold on. All right. Podcasters of America are hemorrhaging as I'm actually drinking water on a broadcast, and I'm not going to edit that out. <sighs> Dang it. I did have to make an edit there, actually. I, I, I read the question, and I made it to the last sentence of it, and then somebody rang the doorbell, and Taz started barking his fool head off. And uh, I was watching the waveform appear here on the screen as I record it, and his, his bark was as loud as my voice was. So I'm like, yeah... That's not going to fly. So, all right. You can tell I'm out of breath now because I just had to go upstairs and deal with all that crap. And I'm off season, so a flight of stairs is basically like a 30-minute cardio session. So, anyway, um, let's try it again now with gusto this time. <clears throat> Quote, this is Luke, and I just had two questions. I would describe my – you stop barking. Damn it. I would describe myself as a casual but dedicated and motivated bodybuilder. <laughs> I follow a basic bulk slash cut routine. I bulked over my freshman year up to 187 and started my cut this summer, and I'm down to 175.6-ish, and I plan to cut the rest of the summer. I would like to move up the level of commitment slightly and was wondering what one supplement you would recommend for both cycles. Preferably something relatively inexpensive as I'm a poor college student. My numbers are decent at 225, 230 on bench, 335 on squat, and I don't really know on deadlift. <laughs> I work out six to seven days a week at high volume and intensity and was wondering if you think I should take a rest day every week or if I should keep up the seven day a week routine and quote. Oh yeah, did it again. I'm two for two with an edit thrown in that was not my fault. So um, yeah, uh, great, great question, Luke. So, um, I'm a little confused. You mentioned both cycles. Um, so start of the cut this summer 
which what it's into June, so probably not too far into it. Plan to cut the rest of the summer. Um, here's the thing: if you're going to do a, a cycle for a cut, you sh- I would recommend starting that at the beginning of the cut. So at this point, just because it does take some planning. Uh, I, I would also, for a first cycle, I don't really think doing a first cycle on a cut is a good idea. You're not going to get as much bang for your buck on that. Um, especially if, you know, if the plan is to start relatively young. Okay, cool. Um, we'll talk more about that shortly here. Uh, so for what, what I might recommend doing as a more practical thing would be to, uh, finish the cut start planning a cycle for your growth phase afterwards now and then implement that when it's time to start that. So a couple of questions here. How old are you? Because you don't want to start this too young. Um, What is the appropriate age? I don't know. It's different for everybody. Uh, I think 18, 19, probably too young. Um, You said freshman year of college, so you're going to be borderline here like – maybe needing to wait a little bit more time. There is also an argument to be made for, you know, how long should you train without chemical assistance before you go into it? You know, should you try to get closer to your genetic potential before you start throwing anabolics into the mix? Um, I think that is probably a fairly wise idea. Now, that is certainly a game of diminishing returns. It depends on how long you've been at it. If you've been lifting since you're 12, you know, are you close to your genetic potential? No, but you're a lot closer than if you started six months ago. Um, I don't know how long you've been at this. You said you follow a basic bulk cut routine, which tells me you've been doing it long enough to at least go through a couple of those phases. But, you know, I won't make too many assumptions here, and we'll try to keep this fairly uh, fairly universal. So, um you, you can always start a cycle too early. It's difficult to start one too late, unless you wait till you're 60, in which case you've missed out on a lot of potential growth. <laughs> so uh, if, it's, if it's a route that you're going down, just make sure that you're read up on it. Make sure that you're asking good questions like this and um, that you take care of yourself. Your health has to take priority over everything else. And when you're young, 20-ish, it is really easy to feel invincible until you fuck up and you're not at which point it's always like, damn, if only I had thought about this before. If only I had planned more carefully, been a little bit more conservative, and not fucked myself in the ass quite so hard. So, um, And I say that just to really hammer the point home. <laughs> you know, it, it is easy to screw yourself up. You're not going to die from steroid use. There are a lot of other significant ways that you can screw yourself up, though. And really, I, I, let me clarify that. Steroid use isn't really going to do too much for you that's really bad. Abuse, yeah, absolutely. And what a lot of bodybuilders do is absolutely abuse. Um, There are smart ways to do it, and there are really dumb ways to do it. And it's not just what you run and the doses, but it's also how long. Do you give yourself a break? Do you cycle off? Do you do blast and cruise? How do you post-cycle if you do it all, et cetera, that kind of stuff. There are a lot of considerations there. So um, all that is a different discussion. That's not what you're asking, but I feel it's worth mentioning as kind of my public service announcement. So um, <clears throat> we'll bypass for right now whether it's a, a wise idea to start, and we'll just you know assume it is. I don't necessarily know that it is, but just for sake of being able to move on and answer the actual question, we're going to make the assumption that it is. So uh, number 225 bench, 335 on squat. We'll just go ahead and credit you with a 405 deadlift because that would kind of fit the mold of everything of being kind of proportionality here. So, <laughs> But if you don't really know, it means you don't do it a whole lot, which means it ain't 405. So, um, But the numbers are reasonable. That's fine. So uh, you know, what I'm looking for is if you've got a 225 bench and a 205 squat, I'm like, mm, yeah, something ain't right there. 
there's something wrong. Um, you're more like me at that point. So, uh, what one supplement I would recommend for both cycles? That is easy. There's only one correct answer for that. Testosterone. That is it. Figure, um, for a first cycle, more than likely, it's not going to be your last. It'll probably be the first of many. And every single one of those cycles, the only thing that will for sure be consistent between those is that they'll all be based around some variant of testosterone. They have to be. As a guy, you cannot run an anabolic cycle without testosterone. Because anything else that you run is going to tank your natural testosterone levels, but it will not replace it. And so if you're not supplementing with testosterone, your levels are going to be in the shitter and you're not going to get anything done. That's why, you know, you find there's legions of guys out there. Excuse me, I was not fast enough on the pause button there. And podcasters of America are in horror as I'm not going to edit out that sneeze. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Um, so there are legions of guys out there who uh, took, you know, 50 milligrams of Dianabol or Anadrol because some guy gave it to him in the gym. It's a pill. Like, pop that. Oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, well, guess what? Oral compounds alone aren't going to get the job done. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to give you a little bit of instant gratification, like, holy crap, this is amazing. Your testosterone levels are going to tank. You're going to get screwed up, um, and it's going to take you a while to recover from that. So um, you can't run any kind of a cycle without testosterone. So that is what you run. And also, when you run it by itself in a vacuum, you get a really good idea of how your body responds to it, what your thresholds are as far as a productive dose. When negative side effects start to take over, then you tamp it back down a little bit. Um, so you can really, I mean, because it is the base of everything else, you want to have a really good idea of how your body responds to just it. And so I would say a beginning cycle, testosterone, whether it's enanthate, cypionate, one of those two is best, uh, of 500 milligrams a week, super basic, uh, split that up twice a week. So it's 250 milligrams, um, every three and a half days, basically. Um, you could do like a, a Monday, Friday or a Tuesday, Friday injection schedule, something like that. Um, read up on proper injection technique, do it right. Rotate sites, uh, you know, get yourself set up and testosterone is really cheap. Like it is not difficult to find a 10 milliliter vial black market, but then again, testosterone is cheap. It is very, very, very rarely faked. It may be a little underdosed at times. You can also get a test kit if you want to um, and, and check validity of compounds that way. Um, it's it not hard to find a 10 milliliter vial for $35, $40. And that would last you five weeks, basically, if you're running 500 milligrams a week. So um, that is a, a really, really inexpensive easy first cycle. You'll want to run some ancillaries along with that. We talked about Aromadex or Aromacin before. Yes, absolutely. You can pick that up likely from the same source or you can purchase it as a research chemical as well. And then uh, a proper post cycle as well, which might include some things that are maybe a little bit more tricky um, to find. HCG would be a great post cycle compound. Um, Nolvidex as well, possibly Clomid, although I'm really not very high on that. So um, do your research, plan it out, get everything in advance, including your post-cycle stuff. If you can't afford it, don't start anything. If you're at the point where it's like, man, I could run a cycle, but I can't afford the PCT, don't do it. And I cannot possibly emphasize that enough. Otherwise, you'll have a great cycle, and then your whole life will turn to shit after the cycle's done, and it's not worth it. So, 
There you go. Um, as to the other question, work out six to seven days a week. You need a rest day. And if you don't, you're not working hard enough. Um, you need at least one rest day a week. Absolutely. There are very few people who are the exception to that. Um, Max, my client, if you're listening, that's you. You're pretty much the only exception that I have ever worked with who can just lift for 20, 30 days straight and uh, <laughs> be totally cool with it. Dude's a machine. Um, most people are not. And, uh, you know, I don't question if he's working hard enough because you see the results. Dude's working hard enough, okay? <laughs> that's that's clear. Um, and even then, I'm trying to get him to dial down the volume a little bit and maybe take an extra day off here and there. It would help, especially as we're trying to grow right now. During growth phase, um, yeah, high-volume workouts are good, but you've got to take that rest day. And if, Again, if you don't feel like you need it, we have to question your intensity level a little bit. Um, most people, and by most, I, I mean you, everybody listening, most people, uh, you need that rest day. So if not two rest days a week. So, uh, and again, the older you get, the more, uh, useful those rest days become. But even if you're in your prime 20 years old, something like that, don't, tr don't try to live seven days a week. You will experience an almost imperceptible, um, decline in your performance level to the point where, you know, it takes you a month or so to realize like, man, I ain't doing anything. And also, you know, track your lifts, um, log things, force yourself into progressive overload mode, that's when you're training effectively. Um, and at that point, you'll probably realize, damn, I need a day off. And what I want everybody out there to do is work hard enough to the point where your days off become your favorite days. When that happens, that's when you're really in the zone. Um, okay, now another question here. This came up from two different, uh, two different sources here. So uh, from... Uh, uh, Dino, who I featured on here before, um, we're now working together, which is great. We're just about a week in at this point. And a similar uh, question came via email from Alex Lind also. So um, first of all, Dino said, when measuring vegetables, um, because one of the things is when I write in my meal plans, um, I'll include a wild card, I'll say one cup of veggies. And then uh, along with all the initial materials, there's a PDF uh, with a table that's like, here are the veggies that I'm talking about when I say veggies, because they're not all created equal. Like a veggie, uh, like a potato is a vegetable, it's a root vegetable. But when I'm talking veggies, no, I mean, specifically, I mean, non-starchy vegetables. But if I just you say like one cup NSV, nobody's going to know what that means. So I include a color-coded table so that people can see what I'm looking at, what I'm talking about when I talk about veggies. So he says, when in measuring vegetables, it should be a cup as opposed to eight ounces on the scale, right? Because the volume changes, all caps. I'm not a math person, <laughs> but something ain't right here. Uh, and then he sent a picture and he included like a, 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 a cup of spinach, basically. And so raw spinach is a tricky one. So, you know, a handful of raw spinach is like eight calories. Uh, when I'm writing a meal plan and I write a cup of veggies, um, I'm including that, that list of vegetables that uh, it comes out to typically about 40 calories per cup, which is the same as cooked spinach. So with spinach, there's a huge change in volume and a, a cup of it raw is almost insignificant. A cup of it cooked, yeah, it's about 40 calories. So, um, with most other non-leafy vegetables, there isn't that significant of a change in volume. So if you're looking at a cup, then, uh, you know, whether it's raw, steamed, boiled, whatever, it doesn't really matter all that much. You know, it may, may mushing up a little bit like, you know, a cup of raw broccoli um, might cook down to like three quarters of a cup. But still, the whole point is, you know, you should be able to eyeball that. A cup is about a baseball. Um, but the, the main point that I wanted to make here in regard to Dino's question um, 
you said it should be a cup as opposed to eight ounces on the scale, right? So that's a unit conversion question here. And I, I love geeking out on unit conversions. As a former engineering student, um, unit conversions were my life for a while. You're converting from pounds to kilograms to slugs <laughs> to oh, newtons, etc. When you're talking about force versus mass, imperial versus metric systems. Um, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Ounces to grams, one ounce, 28 grams. Pound to grams, one pound, 454 grams. Oh, yeah. I still got them all memorized. You know it. Um, so, uh, <laughs> a cup is eight ounces if we're talking fluids. Um, so if you look at a measuring cup, one ounce, uh, one cup and eight ounces will be on the same line. Um, the problem here is when you're talking about something like spinach, broccoli, uh, what else would be a good example here? Oh, pretzels, chips, Doritos, uh, donut holes, donuts. Oh, I could go on for a while. Cookies. A cup of pizza. Uh, might be time for a cheat meal. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the, the key concept that I'm talking about here is void space. Void space. So take that cup of raw spinach and then mash it down with your fist. Suddenly it's like a quarter cup because you've gotten rid of all the void space in there. So uh, same thing if you're measuring something like, what was one of the other things that I used? Like pretzels, a lot of void space. If you get a whole bunch of uh, pretzels, a lot of air in there that is not actual food. So um, that is why for most things, I highly recommend never using volumetric measurements, um, but always use mass. So if you want, you know, you don't want a cup of pretzels, you want, you know, 60 grams of pretzels or whatever, because then the void space becomes irrelevant. Some things like rice, Oats, the void space is negligible, so it doesn't really matter too much. You know, you can t you, those things are pretty tightly spaced in there. Each grain of rice, each individual oat is pretty tightly packed, so uh, it becomes less of an issue there. And those are things that are more appropriate to, to measure volumetrically. I still like mass just because with volumetric measurements, you're left with something to clean. Your measuring device has to be cleaned after you've used it. Screw that. Who has time for that? Um, so void space is the key there. And uh, the, the other thing, why, why I use volumetric measurements for um, something like veggies, because eyeballing it is good enough. A cup is about the size of a baseball, and if you just eyeball that and say, like, yeah, that's good, um, as long as you don't confuse a baseball and a basketball, you're going to be in good shape. So um, that's kind of where that comes from. Now, Alex's question, which was kind of related to that, so I want to hit it at the same time here. Quote, I'm trying to find an episode of your show that talks about how to measure food. I'm, all caps, very confused about whether or not to measure my meat raw or cooked and focus on protein content or just portion size. Does protein content change after it's cooked? Uh, and then there's some additional stuff. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had to, a little bit of laugh at that. Like, yeah, I know I've talked about that before, but do I have any idea when? Nope. I sure as hell don't. So let's just talk about it again. Why don't we? Um, really good question. And this, this comes up all the time and it will come up again. I know we'll, we'll talk about this again, another six, eight weeks, probably just because it's, it's one of the never ending endearing questions of bodybuilding. Um, so how to measure stuff. Um, I didn't think about how I want to tackle this. Hold on. Let me get a drink here again. Ah, I'm like having a beer cracked open at 1142 in the morning. Just kidding. It's water. As far as you know. Uh, 
let's tackle this first. Very confused about whether or not to measure meat raw or cooked. So it depends on what you're following. Um, Look at what you're following, and that should give you guidance. And if it doesn't, then clarify with whoever provided what you're following. So if you're following a meal plan, and it says 8 ounces chicken, okay, was that raw or cooked? And if it doesn't specify, that's a, a failure of whoever provided the plan. Um, because it needs to specify, uh, and there, there may be a footnote or something that says all meats measured raw or all meats measured cooked. I think the safe assumption to make is that, uh, for protein sources, um, they're to be measured cooked because it's kind of baked into the formula pun totally intended that you're going to be meal prepping. And so when you're measuring something out, you're measuring something that has already been cooked. And so you can't measure raw chicken once it's already been cooked, which you did three days ago. So, uh, and it's not expected that you, you know, do all these, uh, these mass conversions. Because what happens when you cook something is typically its mass will reduce because it's losing fluids. Um, so uh, eight ounces of chicken raw might turn into six and a half ounces cooked or something like that. It's not the protein value that changes, you know, that, that chicken breast that you had in your hand raw, you better wash your hand after that, by the way, but that raw, and then the cooked one that you put in your other hand, that's the same thing just before and after same protein content, different mass. So, um, what that means is the protein content per ounce or per gram changes, but what you hold in your hand has the same protein value, whether it's raw or cooked, um, but it will be different in how it's measured. So, uh, but you've got to know what you're referencing here. Um, if you're following a meal plan, it should specify, look for footnotes. If it doesn't, you can probably safely assume they mean cooked, um, just because they are going to assume that you are meal prepping uh, in advance for several days, and then you will only have cooked foods uh, that you can measure from. Uh, if you are following a macronutrient-based plan, how do I log this stuff? Well, again, it's, it's you know, how are you measuring it is, is the first question then. Like, are you meal prepping? Okay, well, then clearly, again, you're measuring something that's been cooked. Cooked. Are you like, mm, well, I normally have chicken, but you know what? Fuck it. For tonight, I'm going to have a steak. All right. Well, you know what? Measure that sucker raw. How much does it weigh? Oh, it's a 10-ounce steak? Great. Look that up in my fitness pal. You know, uh, beef sirloin raw, 10 ounces, add. Um, because, you know, that... Or, or you could measure it after it's cooked as well. But, you know, after it's cooked, I just want to eat it. I don't want to sit and measure it at that point. Uh, e- either way works. But just know that... However you're measuring it has to match up with how you're logging it. That's the only thing that matters. So you, you can, here, here would be a fun example that I don't have the time or patience to do, but um, look up, find, find an entry for you know beef sirloin, raw, 10 ounces, cool. And then you cook it down, let's say it comes out to 7.8 ounces after you've cooked. Now find another entry in MyFitnessPal, beef sirloin, cooked, 7.8 ounces. Calories should match up. The problem there is database, excuse me, database entries get screwy. Some of them are good, some of them aren't. So you've got to be able to put all through, all of those through your internal bullshit detector as well and say, like, you know what, those numbers don't seem right. Check a few, see what the, the, the consensus is, see if there's one or more entries that seem to be outliers from the rest, and then settle on that. That's one of the big reasons also why I don't like incorporating new foods because then I have to go through and to vet and validate all of the new database entries that I'm using if it's a food I'm not familiar with. And then I go into Google and I do a, a search. I go on like Calorie King and you know Spark people and check their databases as well. So it's a big pain in the ass. So, uh, 
but that that is what matters. So first of all, are you following a meal plan or are you doing a macronutrient-based log? And if so, you just have to match up. Uh, if you're doing macros, you have to match up how you're measuring it versus how you log it. Which one you do is irrelevant as long as they match. So you're not you know, weighing out something that's raw and then finding a database entry in MyFitnessPal that's talking about a cooked version of the same food because then you'll get screwy results. So um, great, great questions though, both of you. I appreciate that. Um, and then... And this just came in uh, today, um, this morning, from Jared, uh, Jared Brooks. So thank you, Jared. Um, this was a really good question. And I gave him an answer for this already, but it was worth touching on again just because uh, I had a really quick, snappy answer for it. I'm like, hey, you know what? Other people might want to hear that as well. So from Jared, quote, my question is this. You've talked about how there's a direct correlation between how intense a cardio session is and how much you sweat. Does the amount of clothes I'm wearing affect that at all. So if after a heavy lifting day, I throw a hoodie on and hit the stationary bike for five minutes, is that the same if I was to do the same without the hoodie for, I don't know, 10 or 12 minutes, end quote. First of all, who the fuck throws on a hoodie for cardio? Y'all are just masochists. That's disgusting. Um, not to mention that hoodie is going to be gross as hell by the time you're done. Totally, totally judging there, but hey, to each their own. And my own is that I'm judging you. So, uh, <laughs> I, I know it's a really common thing to like lift or do cardio in a hoodie, but God, for me, I'm stripping off layers. Uh, I'm not, I'm certainly not looking to put more on. Uh, maybe it's because it is about to be July in Tennessee and you walk outside and it feels like the inside of a swimming pool. I don't know. It's gross as hell. Um, but yeah, I don't know that thought of just like, how much more can I make myself sweat? Does not seem like an appealing game for me to play. Uh, maybe I'm just getting older. I mean, fuck, of course I'm getting older, but ugh, I had to go and remind myself of that. Anyway, to Jared's more direct question, and Jared, I cast no personal aspersions on you, except for thinking you might be a little crazy, but otherwise, you're, 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 you're a good dude. <laughs> no, I have no beef with you, good sir. Um, so uh, do, do the amount of clothes you're wearing affect how much you sweat? Yeah, there are a couple things that do. Now, none of that is particularly relevant, so don't think... Um, that, Hey, um, you know, if I, if I sweat more, I can do a shorter cardio session. That is, uh, that is flawed thinking. Um, what matters, uh, is your caloric burn, your heart rate and your caloric burn, which are directly related. Uh, and so that's what you want to measure. If anything, uh, measuring how much you sweat. First of all, if you're going to measure that, like take whatever you're wearing and then like thoroughly wring it out into a measuring cup and then be like, oh, this was a cup and a half today. Sweet. First of all, that's gross. Totally nasty. Certainly don't do that in the gym. Oh, God. Uh, but I mean, no, you're not going to do that. So it's, it's something that you can't measure. It's not practical to measure that other than say like, wow, I really sweat a lot today or hmm, I didn't sweat that much today, which yeah, it's very vague. So uh, we, we don't want to use that, but also it's not relevant. So what, what I told Jared was um, there are numerous factors that can impact how much you sweat, even if your output level, you, you, how hard you're working, your heart rate, your caloric burn, even if that's consistent. So let's take two cardio sessions and put them side by side. Um, let's look at performance tracks of your cardio, like a, a, a graph of your heart rate and your caloric burn for these two sessions. They are identical. These sessions are exactly the same. Now, in one of those sessions... You're outside on a brisk fall morning and let's say shirtless and in a pair of shorts. In the other one of those, you're in a sauna and wearing 
long pants and a hoodie. On one of those, you're going to come out of that session and be like, I don't even really think I need a shower. I'm good. <laughs> and in the other session, you're going to be like, oh my God, there's now an inch of standing water in the bottom of this sauna, except it ain't water. Ugh. Uh, so yeah, your sweat output is going to be wildly different and has nothing at all to do with your performance. And it also has zero impact on how effective that cardio session is. How much you sweat because there are other factors that impact that outside of just your effort. There are other things that impact that that have no bearing on how effective the cardio session is. That's the big thing. So um, don't worry about that. Now, when you're in a controlled environment, you know, you're in the gym, and let's say, um, unlike my gym, yours doesn't have giant garage doors that for some reason they open up on the hottest part of the year while they still have fans running and they turn off the AC so it's hot as shit inside. Ugh, God. Anyway, tangent city. Um, but if you're in a controlled environment and you, you control your, your other, uh, uh, other elements of that reasonably, then yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll find that you can, you can track that pretty consistently and you know, you can, you can, uh, adjust, you know, how many layers you're wearing to kind of suit your taste. If you like to sweat a lot, great. I mean, if it's about like, Oh, I want to sweat so I can lose a whole bunch of fluids. Great. And then take your selfie when you're all nice and dry and then drink water and you're going to blow right back up. It doesn't matter. It has no, no long-term impact at all. So don't think that you are uh, being any more effective because you're sweating more during your cardio session, unless you are sweating more because you're working harder, like actually pushing harder, burning more calories. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only way in which that matters whatsoever. So, um, okay. So those questions took a little longer than I was thinking here. We're at like what the 40 ish minute mark. So, um, I'm going to take a quick little break here. We're going to come back. I might roll in a pet peeve or something like that. I don't know. I'm going to, and then we're going to talk some vacation as well. And then we're going to come back um, next week and start tackling some of these voicemails that we want to run through here. So um, I'm going to take a quick break here and we'll, uh, I'll catch up with you again. And as far as you're concerned, in about two seconds. So as I was uh, wrapping up the Q&A segment that you just heard, at the tail end of it, I heard my wife come home and I thought, hey, who better to have join me and uh, do a little bit of a uh, vacation recap than her? So, hey, Dina, how you doing? Hi. Reluctantly joining you. Reluctantly joining. Yes. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, so um, the, the big takeaway from vacation, at least how I think you would take it away, is you're real sick the whole time. My big takeaway is that we should move somewhere without humidity. <laughs> Oh, that was kind of nice, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still adjusting. <laughs> still adjusting to time and to, to lack of humidity. Mm-hmm. And you're finally, what, are you like 50, 60% better I'm now? mostly better, but what, you know, we're in a food and wine capital of the world for four nights and I can't taste or smell anything. So, yeah. I think the French might disagree with that assessment. So it was fun to go to the winery and ask, which wine pairs best with cough drop? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I think the answer was uh, always Pinot Gris, right? Mm, something sweet. <laughs> something Riesling. sweet. Riesling. Mm-hmm. Riesling with cough drop. Mm-hmm. Doesn't dessert, matter if it's a cherry. Dessert wine. Cherry or like a honey flavored cough drop. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. I couldn't tell the difference. You couldn't tell it. And uh, so what we did is we went from here in Knoxville and we flew through Atlanta and landed in Portland. This was on Friday. So we got into Portland around Friday morning-ish. 
and we hopped in our rental car and we drove down to Albany to spend a few day with my few days with my parents. Our sad little rental car. It was a pretty sad little rental car, Chevy Cruze, I think it was. And so you hadn't been there in what? Has it been like three years? Three years, yeah. So it was your first time seeing the nieces in a little while. Yes. They'd grown up a little bit. Yes, and yeah. the first time seeing your dad. Yeah. And mom in a bit. Yeah, first time seeing dad since the stroke. So. Yeah, the nieces no longer think I'm cool, but that's okay. They don't think anybody's cool though. Though they're that that's how old they are now. That's the way it goes. They're at the age where no one is cool. Except when we mentioned the play Hamilton, and then all of a sudden they cared. Yeah, <laughs> we we became cool temporarily. No, our trip became cool. <laughs> We let's let's make no mistake. That is a very, very important distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so we hung around there. Um, we were there what uh, Friday? We hung with mom and dad. We went to the winery up near them, which was beautiful. Always that gorgeous. Place. The French fries, the like truffle oil fries. Darren doesn't share food. Darren doesn't share food. No, screw that. It's food. It's valuable. I live in a post-apocalyptic mindset. Food is one of the most valuable commodities there is. It is not to be shared. Truth. <laughs> I can testify to this. <laughs> uh, so we hung out with mom and dad um, Saturday, uh, Friday. Saturday, we went up to visit uh, Colin and Sarah, my brother, and his family. Mostly him and his wife. Their, their kids were there, but again, we were not cool. So No, they mostly hid from us. Mostly, Yes. Um, but that was fun. And then Sunday, um, everybody came to mom and dad. So, uh, my other brother, um, their kids. And so we, there were what, like 13 of us or so. Big family picnic. Yeah. Yeah. At home. So, um, with dad, uh, dad on the grill, which was fun. So, uh, and everybody ate, uh, a load <laughs> and then some. Especially dad. Especially dad. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's, uh, He's been on some some moderate food restrictions from his speech therapist just because his swallow function still isn't perfect, but it's pretty close at this point. So he ate whatever the hell he wanted to, which was awesome and plenty of it. So, um, and we had a beer, at least one beer that we shared. Well, didn't share, but had one. No, together. you had you had all the beer that day. He had one too. Oh, I thought you meant me. Like no, you shared no, no, it with no, me. No, me, me, me and Dad. Darren doesn't share beer. <laughs> You're making me sound like a jerk. Well, when it, in the in the topic of food sharing, yes, that's just about the only time that you fit into that category. That's that's fair. Just about. Just about. You yeah. care to elaborate on that? I, I'm pretty sure you don't care for me to elaborate <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do have a mute button over here, so if I don't like what you're saying, I can always edit it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then on Monday, um, we uh, well Sunday actually Sunday we drove up to Portland. We went to the test the Rose Test Garden. International Rose Garden. Which was fantastic. June is the best time to go. It was great. It was great. I thought we were going to end up staying there longer than we did. Um, but after what, like an hour and a half? We're it's like, only just, it's terraces, terrace after terrace after terrace of gorgeous blooming roses. As far as the eye can see, pretty much. And the photo, photos just don't do it justice. Some of yours did. I mean, the, the close-ups. The close-ups. They, they don't, the, the photos where you're trying to get like a big view of like the whole thing, you lose a lot of the color in a photo, I think. But it's a cool place. It's a cool place, yeah. And it's free to go in there, and the view from, the view of Portland from there is really nice, too. The thing that I, I like, like my favorite part, is just the grass everywhere, so you can take your shoes off and just walk around barefoot through most of the place, which is a nice little bonus. Um, so then we thought, uh, hey, we're in Portland. Uh, we have a hotel for the night because we had an early flight, so we wanted to 
um, stay in Portland for the night. So you know, what else is there to do? So we found what was that place where we went? Um, what a was park. It that a park, yeah. Oh, Forest Park. Forest Park, yeah. Um, which we thought, hey, it's a park, cool. So we looked, and really, what what it is, what it turned out to be, was just a bunch of hiking trails, intensely steep hiking trails, very intense hiking trails. Um, so we didn't stay there long. I mean, not not like you know, not like free climbing a mountain or anything like that, but you know, winding switchback trails at a pretty pretty good grade. And so we went, what, about eight minutes down, and then we're like, that's enough, and then we kind of doubled back. It's probably more like three or four minutes. Three or four minutes. I was. I was overestimating. I'm known to do that sometimes. Well, we took pictures, so I guess that time counts. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, idle time still counts. We're still on the clock. It's beautiful basically. and different kind of trees than we have here. Yeah. Like really, yeah. really tall redwoods. But, but our thinking was also uh, we should check the clock and make sure that we can make it to the hotel before rush hour traffic hits. <laughs> we, we are nothing if not super adventurous travelers. So we also knew that from, from Forest Park, it was, what was it, about 50 minutes or so? Only you could hear my eyes rolling. <laughs> I, I can. I can hear them rolling. Uh, so, so we checked into our hotel like 5 p.m.? Yeah. And that's yeah, where for, we spent the rest of the evening. Yes. Well, they had a, they had a nice, uh, I won't call it a restaurant. I guess a restaurant. It was a restaurant. They, they had some good food there. Um, and then we had to gas up the rental car, so we went to the gas station nearby and picked oh, up. Oh, yeah. Evening adventure. That was our outing in Portland. That was our outing. Evening, <laughs> our evening outing. We are party animals. So uh, we did pick up some gas station Riesling in a can, mm-hmm. which was really like the highlight of the trip, I think. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> you don't think so? Well, if that was the highlight of your trip, then the rest is, must be pretty sad. <laughs> so, I would say the highlight of the trip was Darren getting to drive a convertible Mustang through Sonoma and Napa. That that was fun. So the next morning we took off. We had an uneventful flight from Portland to Oakland. We got our rental car in Oakland, which was a sweet black Mustang convertible. Uneventful, except that they put me in first class, and I didn't know how to act in first class. <laughs> oh, yeah. I it, kept well, embarrassing um, <laughs> Darren, and the 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 flight attendant had to all, make all these exceptions for me. <laughs> and he comes to offer me hot towel, and I looked at him like, what for? <laughs> Did I spill something? I, I'll take it, and then I'll figure it out, but... <laughs> I, I imagine because I, I didn't really think it was anything weird, uh, like your your behavior. But I imagine you, I wouldn't give him my coffee back. He gave me coffee when we got on the plane, and then he had to take it away for takeoff. And I held on to it like no. Well, yeah, Darren doesn't share food, and Deanie doesn't surrender coffee. Once I've I been given, fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a feeling you were thinking of it. Uh, you were probably imagining yourself more as like. Elaine on Seinfeld, not knowing what to do in a certain situation. Well, I like didn't, and then my kind of cough drops went on the floor, and I couldn't reach them in my seatbelt, so he had to <laughs> bend down and get my cough drops for me. So, the other incident is he brings this fancy tray of snacks, and I took a banana, and I also started to take a little pack of trail mix, and he's like, oh, oh, let's make sure there's enough for everybody first. <laughs> I mean, you know, first class, whatever. That's what I thought. Yeah. We're paying a lot of extra money for some legroom and a hot towel. Yeah, which and and only to have two people to to a row as well instead of three, and I I got no regrets on that. That was sweet. I'm not complaining, sweetie. See, th- this is why I wanted her to join me for this because she remembers things differently, and I would argue with better insight than I do as well. So, <laughs> oh, I'm I'm getting a scoff right now, <laughs> a very doubtful look. But okay, so 
with very little incident, we made it to Oakland. Yes. And got our rental car. Which immediately put the top, we would immediately put the top down because it's convertible. But Oakland's not fun to drive in a convertible. It's really not in retrospect. It's 58 degrees. It was a little, a little nippy in the morning. And, you know, transfer trucks on either side of us. Yeah, because so we were I'm on, like, what, what is it, 880, so I like think? Was eye the, level with their wheels. Yeah, it's like a five-lane highway. And, I mean, uh, for, the, for a while, we were going, like, between 5 and 15 miles an hour on 880. This is not how I wanted to die. <laughs> how, how would you like to die? Because we can arrange that for the next trip. You not go to the like Dominican? that. Mm-mm. Oh, that's ugly. Oh, that was in poor taste. That was, yeah. Yeah. That was uh. bad. Delete. Mute him, someone, please. <laughs> I'll finish. <laughs> you want to you take over from here? I think. This will be your podcast from now on? Absolutely not. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the the drive, um, we, we immediately went from Oakland up to Sonoma, which took a little over an hour, uh, and found our Airbnb, which was a cool, cool house from the 1800s that had a an add-on that was probably a little bit more modern than that. But. It was built in 1876. Yeah, and um, we had our own entrance, and we had a you know off the street parking, and we a, had our a own secu- gated security entrance. gate. Yeah, gated entrance from the street with our own code, which was pretty cool. Yeah. It's a sleepy little town. It is. Yeah. This is probably way more information than they ever wanted to hear about. Well, that's why I put it at the end of the podcast. So if they don't give a shit, they can just stop listening anytime. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we can ramble on for as long as we want. Oh, no. (laughs) Someone's doing a regret right now. Yeah. So Sonoma is a sleepy little town because uh, we were there from, we checked in Tuesday and we left Saturday. And we went out for dinner on Friday night and everything was shut down pretty much by nine. There were only a couple places that were still open. All the wineries close at 5 p.m. Yeah, because what? There's so much nightlife happening elsewhere? I mean, I don't get that. I'd totally go to a winery at 7, 8 o'clock, something like that. I have no issues with that. But it was beautiful up there. Like, yes, the weather was perfect. One hour later is your bedtime. <laughs> my, my bedtime is not one hour later than 7 or 8. It is 7 or 8. Ideally, in 9:30. a perfect world. 9.30, you think? That's about pumpkin time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I mean the weather was awesome. Uh, the that scenery was, the was awesome. That was the best thing. Is just how perfect weather was. So they were yeah. having a heat wave, <clears throat> dangerous heat wave, where it would get eighty-five to ninety degrees during the day, <laughs> and then at night it would get into the fifties. I think it was more of a heat wave for the grapes than for the people. Yeah, we we can weather it. I mean, you, know, you and I at least raisins. <laughs> grapes will turn into raisins if yeah. they get too hot this is true this is true we were told that so tuesday we we just went uh took the car and went on our own to a couple of wineries um they, they were fun they weren't anything super special or anything they were um, special and one of them had an escape room that's the only escape room that's ever sounded fun let's <laughs> get locked in the chateau do whatever chateau saint jean Chateau, Chateau Saint Jean, probably. Probably. And um, find your way out by you know learning about wine and probably drinking some along yeah, the way. Yeah, which I think would really harm my escape time. I mean, that chateau was was the stuff of movies. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was spectacular. And and you know very antique and almost almost like a castle. Yeah. So, yeah, lock me in there and let me find my way out. That sounds fun. I don't need to find my way out of a room on Southern Avenue somewhere. <laughs> some hotel, some ho- you know, hotel. Something that's decidedly convention. not a castle, but used yeah. to be like an adult film store or something. Yeah. Yeah, not, not as appealing. Uh, so we went there. We went to Ledson also on Thursday. or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, which was uh, similarly fine. And we're, we're doing tasting flights here and there, and we... 
you and I, we, we like wine. We don't really know a whole lot about it. I was well, more interested in tasting the wine, and Darren was more interested in learning about, hearing about it. Yeah, hearing about like how it's made. And I, I was fascinated also, like all the wineries we, we went to, um, none of them had their wines available for distribution in stores throughout the country. And I wanted to know more about the business decisions behind that, which I, I got a little bit of information on that. But that's really what I was mostly curious in. And then just drinking the stuff, but, you know, whatever. More just to get tipsy. Whatever. He came home bragging about how he could look at a glass of wine and tell if it was a Pinot Noir or a Merlot. And I said, well, yeah, if you know those two, but you don't know if they're four other red types it could be. I I know that if you put a glass of Pinot Noir in front of me, I could identify that blind. Just because it does look different from any other red. Blind? I mean, without telling me it's either this or that. Taste test. A Pepsi or Coke taste test. A visual test. Okay. I don't know if I could tell by taste, but I could tell by visual. Because how dark it is. Well, no, how, how, how light it is. It's, it's almost see-through. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Compared to a darker red. Uh, how dark it isn't, yes. Yes. A Syrah yeah. is light also, and so is a red zin. Not as much. I think I could See, tell. he came back a wine expert. <laughs> <laughs> and so Wednesday, we, uh, we, took, uh, we, we drove down to Sausalito, and took the ferry across, would that be the, the bay technically? I, I think guess, so. To San Francisco and got off at Pier 41. To avoid driving in San Francisco. Yeah, which turned out to be a really smart move. More on that to come. Uh, and then we, uh, we walked for a little bit. Wait. You can't wait. There's a teaser. Yeah. Stay tuned. It'll be 30 minutes down the road when we get to, when we get to Saturday. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll speed this up a little bit. How about that? We'll start doing the highlights. Um, and so Please. we walked for a little bit and then we got on the BART. Um, to a couple stops down to uh, the Orpheum Theater, where we uh, caught a matinee of Hamilton, which was excellent. Yeah, so a friend of mine that I worked with in the past, um, as a kid, he was somebody who would work backstage at a community theater um, with me, went to uh, school and got his degree in stage managing, and now he's stage managing the Hamilton production in San Fran. Which is Awesome. He even like <laughs> called the show that day. Like he was the guy on the headsets calling all the scene changes and yeah, and all the moving parts and the rotating stage and the rotate or the stairs that come down. I mean, yeah, that was cool. So he didn't have to help us get tickets. I mean, tickets were easy to get. We just bought our tickets a week ahead of time. That place was packed though. Yeah, yeah. it was packed with not with not enough restrooms. True. Which and, is true of most old theaters, I think. And then after the show, um, my friend even said, well, at least let me hug your neck. Come to the stage door. So we go to the stage door. Of course, the show is fantastic. It's very, very hyped, but it lives up to the hype. It does. It really does. Um, and out by the stage door, there's like, you know, the little temporary fencing set up. There's a whole bunch of people out there waiting to meet the cast as they girls. come out. There's security guards out there. Yeah. 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 They said, well, just give your name to the security <laughs> guard and give my name to the security guard. So they came back and said... Travis Blackwell's party. And so uh, they let us in the doors. And uh, Travis took us uh, for a quick backstage um, peek. And we got to stand on the stage and even snap a quick photo standing on the Hamilton stage. So that was cool. That was very cool. Very cool. So um, f- because I know we've got some people listening here who, uh, who are familiar with the show. Having seen it now and having heard the, the original recording, you've heard it many more times than I have. I've heard it a lot, but you've, you were much more familiar with it than I. Um, 30 seconds, talk about how what you saw live compared to what you've heard before and what you were expecting and what you already knew. And I were think familiar. you should talk about that for 30 seconds. I think I should? Yeah. Why? You're more comfortable than me. <laughs> That's fair. Um, 
Yeah, the, the the guy who played Hamilton was good, but didn't have the that last like two or three percent of something that I really kind of wanted in that role. Like he was very polished, almost to his detriment. Oh, you asked me to talk about staging, not the the performances. Oh, the performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Well, he he was great. He wasn't <clears throat> quite what I expected, but what was really really wonderful was the staging mm-hmm. and how how clever and really just brilliant. It, of course, it's written. You know, it's brilliantly written in a very very um, imaginative, unique way. But the staging had elements in it, of course, that you can't visualize when you listen to it. Like the revolving stage was used in a way I've never seen a revolving stage. That was used. so cool. So that it was, was used, really trippy at times. It was probably used sixty percent of the time. Yeah, it was it always was spinning. going. Um, and that, like for example, the scene where a bullet is shot and a girl catches it, and the, just the physicality of the way the actors had to like she catches the it and story. then in slow motion like carries it across the stage as a story is being told as a soliloquy is happening which yeah. you hear the soliloquy on a recording and it's not that cool but when you see it all happening and and unfolding before your eyes in slow motion that was cool it was awesome yeah yeah so that that was excellent and then once that was over we pretty much just beat it out of San Francisco went back to the uh, Airbnb and chilled um, Thursday, we just drove around to some wineries, hit a few. There was that one... Um, oh, I wanted to go to Yontville. Oh, yeah, we did go to there. And that famous bakery, Bouchon, Bouchon bakery. bakery. So we got a really fancy um, treat from there, which I couldn't taste. <laughs> Recurring theme. And a friend said, oh, you should go to the French Laundry. It's it's like a one-in-a-lifetime experience. I checked it out. Uh not so much. You don't even have a menu. You have a tasting. You do, you show up and you eat what the chef says he wants to serve you. And then you pay whatever they charge you. And then it can be upwards of $400 a meal. Yeah. I, I, I'll stick with my five guys. That's more my speed. Even if I could taste and smell, I wouldn't rather spend my money another way. Yeah. 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 Seriously. If I had 400 bucks to blow on a single meal... But we drove around Napa and didn't really see much in Napa because we mostly just visited in Napa the um, Walgreens. Yes. A Walgreens and a CVS. And it's a much bigger, it's just a more commercialized, bigger, spread out place than Sonoma. Yeah. I'm sure we missed the cool part of Napa. Probably. Probably. But all of Sonoma was cool. There isn't much of it. It's really little. Um, So we did go to Yauntville, which is up a little north. And then we found a couple wineries out there, including, what was that one that we went to? The Duck one? Um... I can't remember the name of it. No, no, no. no. The first one we went to was the... Um, Cl- Cliff Lead. Where all the wines were named and grapes were named after uh, classic rock songs. Yeah, and which artists. was nice. They had a, a, very, a very cool um, seating area where we could go outside and get in some comfy chairs. They're like, normally you're not allowed to go to that p- part of the winery. It's for our um, members only guests. But, but no one was there. So have at it. Yeah. That was cool. We're like, dude, I, I, as much as I'd love to stand inside at this counter and let you tell me about wine, it would be even nicer just to buy a glass and sit outside. Yeah, that was nice. And that he was, was nice. like, I get it. <laughs> he was cool about it. And then the, the duck one that we went to after that, it's the, the same place that's responsible for like uh, duck horn wines. Like there's a, a decoy that's available for distribution that's like an 18 to $25 bottle. It was much more casual and, and, and they had dog leashes you could borrow. Which I like that, right by the front door. Like if you're bringing your dog, here's a leash. So we, we were immediately um, found that appealing. Um, but also just they had a really beautiful and relaxing outdoor area where we got in these really comfy chairs under a huge tree and in just the sat there for a couple hours. Yeah. And had like a, a meat and cheese plate to and go with our like, tasting. Damn. 
Rosemar wine tasting just cost $80 <laughs> yeah. for two people yeah. to go taste wine. I guess it was the cheese plate. that We, we did even share that tasting. We, no, we didn't each have one. That's right. Yeah, we shared that. We had one tasting and then a $40 cheese plate, I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they get you. like 80 bucks. Yeah. The I cheese mean, is how they get you. When else are we going to be there to... Well, hopefully in a couple to years, pretend maybe. I could taste. Yeah, hopefully when you can actually taste. So we went to a couple places on uh, on Thursday, and then Friday we did a trolley tour where we didn't have to drive. Thank God for that. And, um, and we didn't have to think about where to go. Like he had all the wineries selected. They drive you there. They drop you off. And we were in a group of almost thirty. I think there were like twenty eight of us on that the trolley. outdoor trolley, though. So you're open air. That was yeah, cool. Yeah, which I, helped with the car sickness. I did get really car sick going from from stop one to start stop two because you had an empty stomach. Yeah. Yeah, except for wine, which didn't help. Yeah. Um, but we went to a couple places that weren't really marked, um, like from the road. Like, I don't know how you'd find them otherwise if you're just driving around. Like, that first place that we went to was... There were no signs. Larson. And we were greeted by three <clears throat> Labrador retrievers. Yes. Yeah, which was great. So they have this three-lab cab is one of the wines that they put out, and they have their dogs on the on the label, which is awesome. And the guy who gave us the spiel there, he was great. Um, kind of in a Hawaiian shirt, very laid back. Kind laid of a, back, kind of loud guy in a Hawaiian shirt. Kind of a Chevy shirt. Chase guy. Yeah, exactly. Only, only nicer. Yeah. And I remember one of the things that he said was, you know, there, there's two good types of wine. There's the kind that's in your hand and the kind that you like. <laughs> and he, he I'm was pretty very sure much that was like, our trolley driver who said that. But was it? Yeah. It could, very easily could have been. I think, he, I think Hawaiian shirt guy said, if you walk in and they're acting all pretentious, just run away. Yeah, he's like, it's wine. Get over it. He said there were there are some big label places that take our wine and put their label on it, and I'm not allowed to tell you, of course, what those companies are. But you know, they sell their wine for twenty six dollars a bottle, and they label it with something else and sell it for forty <laughs> in a in a wine store. That guy was cool. Yeah, yeah. Every uh, every place that we hit on the on that trolley tour was was worthwhile. They they were all winners, I thought. And then uh, one of them is the oldest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was oldest that? Buena, Vista. Buena Vista? And it was kind of like Westworld. It was kind of creepy. And they had a wine cave, and you went inside the wine cave, and they had all these rooms set up with mannequins and stuff. It was a little creepy. Yeah, that's where the Westworld atmosphere but came cool. from because they were like. Mannequins dressed up in kind of like Western garb. In period clothing yeah. from, yeah, in different saloons and areas of the, ca- different caves even that we got to go look around in. And w- one of my one of my favorite elements of the whole trip, I, I didn't tell you this, but I got a real big chuckle out of this, was our, our tour guide there, because um, we actually went on a tour at that winery and had a tasting, um, he had a very thick accent, and I'm like, you know, for a French guy, he wasn't all that pretentious. And you said he was Russian <laughs> or Ukraine or something. Yeah, and now that I think about like, it, his name was should, like Vesali or something. You like should that. move closer to hear me. <laughs> like, and there were women sitting down at a table, and they didn't get up. Like we're fine in the shade, and he he kind of like bristled at that. He did. Like, I'm telling you to get up and hear me. Yeah. Like, Damn. It was like I. I he had a clearly like Russian-ish name, and for I some tell reason, you what to do on this I thought this he was tour. French, so yeah. Vasily. Clearly, Vasily. The, the lesson, as I always say on this podcast, is that I'm an idiot. So, <coughs> um, and so then that was uh, I get no argument from you, just a cough. Girls got a cough. <laughs> so that was Friday, and then Saturday. So on Thursday, we got the notification that our flight home on Saturday had been canceled. We had been rebooked on a different flight. 
So we were supposed to fly out of Oakland at like 11 in the morning or something like that, These noon. Poor people must be so bored. Honey. Well, they, they've all tuned out by now. I don't think anybody's listening anymore. So, um, And uh, instead, we got rebooked on a red eye for Sunday morning at 1230. And so we decided, well, okay, we, let's go spend a day in San Francisco. And that ended up being pretty much a giant mistake um, because having a car in San Francisco is like a curse. Like there's nowhere to park it. All the places you want to go have no parking. Yeah. It's a bunch of shit, frankly. Unless you drive way up to one of the highest points on 16th Street to see the, <laughs> the mosaic stairs. That was cool. That then was there was it. parking, but those streets were so steep, I was doing lots of nopes. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, even just like it was, walking. It was scary. <laughs> it was. So eventually we, we, had, we did find lunch at a cool place there, and eventually we just gave up. Uh, and the routine was we had to drive to the Oakland airport to return the rental car get an Uber over to the San Francisco airport, which is where our new flight was flying out of. And then we were going to wait in the airport for hours and hours. We left out that we tried to go to Muir Woods and we drove all the way up oh, to where it is, almost up to where it is on some scary racerback drive, gorgeous oh. drive, but yeah. with bicyclists around every corner who you yeah. could not go around because of the switchback curves. Yes. But um, we got there and, and Muir Woods, apparently you have to have a reservation. For parking. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, by the time you get that notice, it's like pull, pull up your cell phone to reserve parking, except by the time you get that sign, you already don't have service. So then you've got to turn around on these switchback roads and go back a little ways until you do get service and pull up your phone and realize that all of the parking reservations for the day have been taken. Yeah, it was Saturday. So. Yeah, that sucked. That was stupid. So we did drive over to an overlook at Muir Woods. That was very cool. Yeah. Where you were up very high. The was, fog was so thick, you really couldn't see much of the ocean. We saw a tiny little bit of water and uh, 90% fog. Scared porta potty. Oh, scared porta potty. That's right. I forgot about that. See, that's that's why I wanted you to come on here. Mm. You, you you remember this stuff more than I do. <laughs> those, so, are th- those are the things that are seared into my brain. <laughs> Unforgettable experiences, <laughs> for better or worse. So we had lunch at a cool place in San Francisco. Well, a little oh, hole in the wall. Only, it was good food. Only because they had a. We found on Yelp that they had a parking lot nearby. Yeah. Yeah. It was like right there. That was good. Um, and then we just kind of gave up. Very nice, nice lady. Yeah. She was extremely Nicer nice. Nicer than she had to be. Much. Uh, we eventually got to San Francisco airport with a lot of time to kill. And the guy checked Again, us in. Again, five hours early because, you know, we had nowhere to go in San Francisco. M- more than five. More like seven or eight for our initial flight. But then he's like, do you want to get an earlier flight to Dallas? And we're like, eh, you know, okay, we'll be in Dallas. We don't have to worry about being late for our connecting flight. Sure, why not? And the only reason that flight was even available was because it was already two hours delayed by the time we got there. And it ended up being delayed another 45 minutes beyond that. So we pull into Dallas finally at like 1.15 in the morning or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then uh, Dallas Airport's a total ghost town. Like we couldn't even we couldn't even get the plane to the building to get off of it, remember? Oh, God. The pilot. The pilot was very unhappy with his um, employer. His, his and he ground kept, crew. He kept, well, no, just he kept complaining about the company American Airlines. Yeah. Into the microphone for all of us before we even took off. That was hilarious. But, so apparently the, the law says that for a plane to be taxied into the gate, you have to have- Safety regulations. Safety regulations. You have to have three people on the ground, each of which, with, uh, each of which uh, holding two of those lighted sticks to help wave the those plane flashlights. in. flashlights. He kept yeah. calling them. And so eventually, after some waiting, um, we were probably waiting for about 10 or 15 minutes by this point. He said, we've got three people, but only two flashlights. Multi-billion dollar company, and we can't find four flashlights. <laughs> we were on the plane said. probably 20 minutes waiting for like them to find flashlights. Yeah, like 100 feet from the gate, just waiting for them to bring us the rest of the way in. It was 
obnoxious. So, uh, public service announcement. Uh, I will strongly encourage everyone, avoid flying American Airlines if you can, because I think this and our canceled flight was related to an ongoing uh, labor dispute that their maintenance crew is having with the larger corporation. And unfortunately, all of us flying travelers are the ones that are paying the price for it. So if that gets resolved at some point, great. But in the meantime, just Google that and uh, see if that's still in effect they, before you book any tickets. Probably a very good reason for striking. But probably. It also means you don't want to fly. Exactly. Anywhere. It's like you don't don't walk in for dinner at a restaurant with a help wanted sign out front. You're going to be slow as hell in there. You haven't heard that? Well, yeah, but it's never stopped us. That's true. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, we made it back. Uh, the The... We, we tried to sleep in the Dallas airport. You probably got a little bit. I didn't sleep at all. Um, horrible airport to for trying down. to sleep in. There's nowhere to lay down. No. It was Even awful. the benches all have handles that don't move. Yeah, so. they have ar- armrests that don't flip up or anything. So you can't even stretch out over more than one seat. I laid in the floor, but it was really cold. Yeah, it, was, it was lousy. We st- stood in line at Starbucks once they opened for like, what, 45 minutes or so? Something like that. Had nothing else to do. Nothing else to do. No, it was better than, you know, trying to sleep and not being able to. Um, and so then we uh, eventually got home at like 1030 and got got our little Tazzy back with us. And but our friend, even so we wouldn't have to go get him, their friend not only kept him for 10 days, she delivered <laughs> him to us in the middle of a terrible thunderstorm along with a, a pot of chicken soup, a homemade chicken soup because she knew I had been sick. And a, and a strawberry shortcake. With friends like that. That was, that was, that was special. That, that was, was special. That was above and beyond. And since then, it's just about trying to get unsick and get reacclimated to time and humidity. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yeah. That was yesterday for us, the 27th. So. It's like, sweetie, I can take you to a fancy dinner. Want to do that? It's, I can't taste anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for our anniversary, we put Tazzy in the car and gave him, like, drove him around a little bit and let him put his head out the window. Yeah. That was our special. Our anniversary present was a a, a car ride to Taz. Looking at a, a few photos and and eating questionable four year old frozen wedding cake. I mean, it, it, questionable in concept, but that shit was good. That um, was tasty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we we figured out that you you really only supposed to save the cake one year. I think it's a one year tradition. Not four years later. Well, we had to move that darn cake with us from one house to another when we moved here. Why even. did we do that? I don't know. That was the questionable decision. Well, I it's think. chocolate cake, so I'm going to assume that had something to do with you. I'm pretty sure I had veto power over any decision regarding that cake. Chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Darren doesn't share food. He also doesn't throw it away if it's still chocolate. And however long that sat in the freezer, it was still chocolate. Oh, you did. There was a little portion of it you threw away. Well, we weren't keeping it for a fifth year. And we we pretty much demolished it. There were only scraps left to save. So. Mostly you demolished it. Mostly me, yes. Yeah. So I guess that, that, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. All right. These poor people. These poor people. We're, we're at the hour. Hey, you know, I have had a lot of people say, we want longer podcast episodes. So now I'll just say, be careful what you wish for, because this is what you might get. That's not what we meant. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining me. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Any, any parting shots for the listeners out there? Yeehaw. Yeehaw. That's fair. 